HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli, and we're coming to you live from Bushwick. Um, very excited today. We have on a sommelier from Chicago, um, from True Restaurant. Uh, True is certainly one of uh, one of the greater restaurants in Chicago. They have uh, Michelin star for several years, and uh, was really one of one of the the pioneers in really fine dining, high end cuisine over there. Um, so we're here with sommelier Jennifer Teets. Uh, Jennifer, thank you so much for being on our show. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, um, and for for those of you, if you can, uh, I'm not sure if you can tell there's, but Jennifer's actually calling in from uh, Chicago, so it's uh, <laughs> a little bit a little bit uh, earlier over there. Thanks so much for waking up so early to be on the show. I really appreciate <laughs> it. You got it, no problem. Excellent. Did you work a really late shift last night? You know, I was off yesterday, so this is not a concern at all. Luckily, right? <laughs> <laughs> real again. Yeah, really appreciate it. The restaurant, so. Didn't have to close the restaurant. What time do you usually get out when you close the restaurant? Uh, it depends. You know, I, I usually take advantage of the time uh, since I have to be there anyway to reprint the wine list, uh, which can be quite an undertaking with the size of our list. It's at about 70 pages right now. So, you know, you'll be there till about 3, 4 in the morning on average. Wow. Wow. 70 pages. So how many uh, different selections does that entail? So that's, a, that's about 1,500 selections. Jeez, that's amazing. Well, let's let's talk a little bit about how uh, how you got into the industry and and how you ended up um, running one of the the more impressive wine programs in the country. Um, well, thank you. And um, I actually got started pretty early in the industry. Um, I started waiting tables. I think I was sixteen when I had my first restaurant job. Um, so, and I won't name any specific establishments, but. Um, Let's just say the type of job where one would be required to wear flair. Um, <laughs> so I did that for a few yeah. years, and um, I ended up going away to college 
just swearing up and down that I would never work at a restaurant ever again. And uh, so we all see how that worked out. Um, <laughs> so fast forward, I'm going to college at Northwestern University in Evanston, and I started working at a wine bar um, in Evanston. So Evanston's actually just outside Chicago. Um, so I'm working at this wine bar called The Stained Glass. And that was really the first job I had that really um, both encouraged and, and even required you to, to taste wine, to think about it, to talk about it, to talk to guests about it. Um, and I, I fell in love pretty, pretty, pretty quickly uh, with the beverage. Um, you know, it's just satisfying in so many ways. It's obviously delicious, um, you know, very sensory experience, but it's also intellectual, it's social, it's cultural, historical. Um, so there was, there was kind of no going back from there. I fell in love, started studying right away, um, finished up college, moved to the city, started working at fine dining, uh, which only further encouraged uh, the passion, so to speak, just seeing the intricacy of service, and, um, you know, the intensity and precision with which people were approaching their jobs. It's, mm-hmm. it's really incredible. And the intensity of the industry, the, the, the dynamic nature, uh, you know, I, I was smitten. So there was no going back from there. And when you first got into it, what sorts of wines were you interested in? And has have you found that that has changed over the years? Yes and no. Um, so when I worked at this, this wine bar, the Stained Glass in Evanston, um, the wine director there was this old Italian gentleman. Um, so I tasted a lot of Italian wines, and um, to this day, I think Italy remains uh, one of my favorite regions, one of my main passions uh, within wine. Obviously, as, as you progress, you get more and more into French wines uh, and kind of branch out from there. Um, you know, we all love the old world, but I think uh, the new world is doing some really fun things for me, too. I mean, Oregon Pinot had its heyday, um, and then we started to see South America coming of age. I think we're starting to see a little bit of a, a, a change in uh, Australian and New Zealand wines. Um, so I think there's some very exciting things happening throughout uh, throughout the world. Okay, so you you came back to Chicago and you started working uh, fine dining. Um, and you started yeah. working at a, a restaurant, Boca, is that correct? That is correct. And tell yeah. us a little <laughs> bit about, about your time there and, and what that was all about. Oh, well, they kicked my butt. Um, so the, the chef at the time, Giuseppe Santori, he had been the sous chef at Charlie Trotter's, of course, the very famous uh, Chicago institution, which recently closed. Um, and there, there were, in fact, a few uh, Trotter's people working there, and, and they take their service very seriously. Um, I, was, I was pretty young. I think I was 23 when I started there. And um, I started as a server assistant, a back waiter. I worked my way up to food runner and eventually worked my way up to server. And, um, you know, I think to this day, uh, Boca is really known for providing some of the best service uh, in the city, and, and they do a great job. So that was quite the learning experience for me, and, and quite humbling as well to come, you know, thinking you have all this knowledge and, and, and to start as a back waiter, um, which I would recommend to anyone getting into the industry, certainly. Yeah, I mean, there, there's... It, it's really hard to manage people if you uh, if you haven't uh, actually done the job. Uh, uh, so exactly. It's it's uh, that that's definitely what I, what I always recommend to people who are who are kind of 
who asked me like, I, you know, I want to open up a restaurant. I want to manage a restaurant. Mm-hmm. And if they haven't had that, uh, that experience, I say, you got to start at the bottom, especially like career changes. It's hard. It's hard for people to hear sometimes when they're like, I've, you know, I'm running a team in some financial sector. Like I, I but I want to be in the restaurant industry and like, right. maybe you should start, you know, bussing tables first and then, and then, uh, see if you want to do it. Um, but but I, I think that's I think that's the best way to go about it. Absolutely. Exactly. Exactly. And it, I mean, you know, it boosts morale once you do get into more of a leadership position. Um, just to have your team knowing that you can support them if you need to. So I think it's very important. Absolutely. Um, okay. So tell us tell us a little bit about what it was like um, coming into True. I mean, this is a place that had been around for for years. Already had a significant wine program uh, built up. And wh- what's it like to step into that role? Intimidating. <laughs> um, uh, I remember when I staged there, um, and I had actually, so um, Chad Elligood was the wine director at the time, um, and so for a little over a year prior to working at True, I had been a sommelier and wine buyer um, at Benny's Chop House in Chicago, um, and we had hosted an industry wine tasting, and I happened to introduce myself to Chad, and, and we, we chatted a little bit, and um, so I had met him once before, and, and um, so I showed up for my stage, and I recognized him. I said hello, and um, but I mean that team runs like clockwork. Um, so showing up, doing the stage, which is basically you know a tryout for a restaurant position, the intricacy of the service, the intricacy of the wine service specifically was. I mean, you know, he said, open this bottle, and then informed me everything I had done wrong <laughs> while opening the bottle. Um, so it was very intimidating. Um, I, I worked as uh, assistant sommelier for uh, a little under a year at True before I was able to kind of slide into the wine director position. Um, so by the time I kind of took over the program, I felt a little bit more comfortable, um, or I would say a lot more comfortable, um, with the way things run there, with the service, of course, with the staff and the food. Um, so that was a big help. Um, and then, you know, I think the opportunity to taste wines on a daily basis, to get to meet representatives and winemakers and people from across the world, it's one of the most rewarding parts of the job. That's great. And then how much of it uh, were you able to kind of make your own and, and change around and how much did you want to keep uh, kind of things as they were going? Yeah, that's something people ask me a lot when I first um, took over the program is, you know, what's your direction for the list? And I'm thinking, gosh, you know, this, the list has, I, how could I make it any better? <laughs> um, so I'm really lucky in that respect. I think uh, a main focus for me, and I think one of the main strengths of our list, is really maintaining the vintage depth. I think that's something uh, that's really unique about our list. I think it's rare. I think it's hard to come by. Um, and it takes work. You know, these aren't things that you're buying cases of and and sitting on for years. These are things that, you know, you're selling and replacing on a constant basis. And, um, you know, we're lucky in Chicago to have a lot of those resources. Um, you know, at True, we, we host the Heart Davis Heart Auctions. Um, so that's a really excellent source for back vintage wines and um, a couple other uh, kind of distributors that specialize in that. So I think that's a, a main focus of mine is to maintain that. Um, but, you know, there's a couple areas... Uh, that are set to expand. Of course, I mentioned Italy previously, um, so we'll see where that goes in the future. Um, southern France, things like that, um, that I'm pretty passionate about. Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. That's something that I've kind of always 
uh, prided uh, Arliss on is having having some vintage depth, especially you know our our lists yeah. are, are are Italian, so uh, I don't want to have any Barolo, Barbaresco, or Brunello that doesn't have at least like six or seven years old because it's just I don't think you're doing anyone a service by by showcasing those wines. Um, so right. it's it's like it is a constant challenge to keep finding keep finding those wines and maybe have a, a good source for a couple of months and then it's then it's kind of like all right, well now I need to find something else. Exactly. And so tell us about, uh, you guys are doing just, just tasting menus now, is that correct? That's true. Um, about two months ago, we switched over to a new menu format. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm really quite pleased with it. So it's, it's all tasting menu now. It's either seven or 14 courses. Um, and it certainly, I would say, affected um, the wine side of things in that <laughs> it's, it's very focused on the wine pairing. This is a... a major part of the dining experience now, I would say. Um, and people seem to be responding very well. Um, you know, I'm happy because it affords me a certain degree of creativity on the job. Um, so it's, it's, been, it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, you, you know, I, so every time I, I taste, uh, I feel like I come across a wine where I, it's so particular um, that I don't think it'll be It'll go great with a ton of foods, but I feel like, man, if we were doing like tasting, like tasting menus, like that would be totally applicable. Like something like mm-hmm. there, there's a there's a grape um, from Central Italy called Lacrima di Moradalba. It's like so yep. intensely uh-huh. <laughs> like floral and aromatic, and like you don't want it on the table. Like at our restaurants, where everyone's sharing things, and it's like completely you know a, a mix of flavors. I don't think it's like yeah. versatile. But if the, if you can get like a specific pairing then it w- I, I bet it would knock the you know knock the park out knock it out of the exactly. park <laughs> uh, so what what are some of your favorite pairings what have you what have you come across that you're really into uh, well I like that you bring up the point of, of these kind of weird wines because I think the pairing menu format really affords us the opportunity to introduce guests to things that they probably would not otherwise encounter um, and things that I might not otherwise be able to sell <laughs> too easily um, so uh, as an example of that, um, there was a pairing, the, this dish actually recently went off the menu, and I was, I was sad to see it go simply because I loved being able to pour this wine so much. Um, but it was, uh, it was a squab dish that was done with uh, dates and carrots, and I was actually pairing that with a wine called Cherisuolo de Abruzzo. And um, so Cherisuolo meaning cherry-colored, this is from, uh, of course, Abruzzo, Italy, and it's basically a rosé-style Montepulciano. Um, this particular one was aged in what's called an amphora, uh, which is a very ancient method. It's basically a large terracotta pot that was uh, buried underground. Um, it was just a bizarre wine. The color was this weird kind of uh, rusty salmon color. Um, people just didn't know what to think of it. Um, but I think I think it uh, worked with the dish really well. It had a little bit of funk, uh, which worked with the game bird. It had a little bit of uh, fruit intensity, which helped pull out the sweetness of the carrot and the dates. Um, so that was a really fun one. I got. And, I've got uh, to ask you because we, you know, we have a wine bar called Amphora, and I, that that is a, an area of wines that I'm particularly interested in. Um, okay. And I, I've I, I thought that I knew most of the producers in Italy who are who are aging wine in Amphora, but who who's doing it in Abruzzo? What do you remember the producer that you're pouring? I do. <laughs> it was Cirelli. Um It's a very small operation. It's a husband and wife. Um, it's pretty new. Um, they also do. Uh, a cherisuolo that is not an amphora, mm-hmm. and then they do this amphora. 
Um, I, it's a very small production, um, but it was pretty cool stuff. That is so cool. Okay, so I'm going to be looking for this one. Uh, abs- yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's also exciting to find good wine in Abruzzo. Uh, there, I feel like there aren't yes. too too many producers um, outside of the you know the Emilio Pepe and Valentini, um, right. the, the those really kind of iconic producers. Uh, the 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 one that I found that I recently have been really interested in, and uh, we, I had. Chiara Pepe, uh, Emilio Pepe's, uh, I guess, granddaughter in the restaurant. I was like, "Who's who else is doing? Is okay. it all like these like industrial kind of producers? Like, like we found right. I found this wine Presidium, like, and I, I really like it. What do you think?" And she's like, "Hmm, good farming practices." And I'm like, "All right, so like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, that that has like that's some. I feel like that's validating in some way." <laughs> Uh, yeah, but there really very are diplomatic. There aren't like there aren't too many uh, in Abruzzo, so I'm, I'm definitely gonna check out this Torelli. Good, good, good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's a tough area. <laughs> so there's Torelli, and then also, have you had uh, Torre de Beati? That's another producer. I love telling their story, too. It's like there were a couple of sommeliers who, who got married and moved to Abruzzo to, to start a little winery. Okay. No, I haven't. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, another another kind of natural producer. So that's cool. So I, I like to think that in New York we get like we get all the good stuff, and then the rest of it is kind of you oh, know. <laughs> but but it's not true. It sounds like you guys have like quite a quite a a, a variety of of back vintage stuff of cool small producers that maybe we don't see here. You know, I hope so. <laughs> you know, we we go out of our way to find it a lot of time, but you know, I mean, sometimes uh, you know. They make it a little bit easier for us. I'm actually um, have the opportunity to pour some back vintage items on the pairing menu right now, um, which is always fun when those things are available in any kind of quantity. Um, you know, to show off a little bit. Um, I have the uh, we have a beautiful pork belly dish um, that I'm, I'm pairing with a 1994 Riesling Spätlese. Uh, people are responding very, very well. Yeah, I would. I would think I would respond very well. I, so I want. I want to hear more about about your thoughts as to like how, your process as to how you go about pairing. Um, but we're gonna. I want you to think about it a little bit because we're gonna take just a short break. Oh, good. <laughs> okay, perfect. This one's called Canyon by Eula on Heritage Radio Network org. Hi, I'm Steve Jenkins from Fairway Markets. You know, there's no more telling aspect, no more revealing virtue of a group of people having evolved in a lovely way than how they feed themselves, how they entertain. 
how they put food on the table, what they put on the table. Heritage Radio Network provides the clearest evidence that there's hope for us yet. Heritage Radio's like Fairway Market in that we both care deeply about what you're having for dinner tonight. Heritage Radio Network is not just about food, though. Every time I tune in, I learn something about things other than food, too. Architecture, design, stuff like that. But from where I stand, I still say, if you can't eat it, what's the point? For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. And we're back on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks, uh, Jack, for that moody <laughs> canyon song. That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so we're back with Jennifer uh, Teets from True Restaurant, the wine director of, uh, of True in Chicago. And we were talking a little bit about uh, the tasting menus and how, uh, how you go about pairing. So, I'd, so Jennifer, mm-hmm. I'd really love to hear... Um, how, do, how does this process work? Um, it's, you know, it's spring, some new dishes are coming on, your chef's like, oh, yeah. all right, like we're, we're going to put on these, you know, these 10 new dishes on, on the tasting menu. How do you go about pairing uh, with those dishes? So it, just like the food menu, it's, it's very important to consider not only the individual dishes, but the menu as a whole um, and the harmony and the progression there. So... Uh, you know, a lot of our dishes tend to be very white wine friendly, um, but nor do I want to serve people 12 white wines in a row. Um, so trying to mix it up where possible, I mean, the, the rosé we talked about previously was a fun way to do that. Um, I have a, a franciacorta, which is an Italian sparkling wine on the menu right now. Um, I have an apple cider. Um, so just looking for ways to make it interesting for the guests. Um, even if I have a sake on right now, so uh, looking for ways to mix it up a little bit. Um, but as far as specific dishes, um, you know, there certainly is, is a, it's, it's creative, but there is a bit of a scientific process as well. Um, one very important thing to, I'd say, the starting point here is to think about the intensity of the dish. Um, and you want to match that with the intensity of the wine. Uh, you don't want a very delicate uh, lightly flavored, uh, kind of bright style dish with some intense, heavy, you know, wine, uh, because one of those is going to get lost, or probably both of them are going to get lost. Um, so that's a really good starting point. I think after that, um, you know, flavor and structure are, are, are very important, but I think something that often gets overlooked is texture. And that's something that's, that's very important to me when, when pairing wines, um, and a lot of Classic pairings are based on this concept, um, you know, creamy, rich, buttery lobster with creamy, rich, buttery Chardonnay, for instance, or palate-coating foie gras with palate-coating sauterne. Um, I think if you can create textural harmony um, on the palate, that you're at a really good starting point. Yeah. What about uh, contrasting textures? Uh, do, do, you th- do you find that those pairings ever work? Oh, yes. Um, you know, you, you can complement or you can contrast. And, um, you know, the classic example being uh, uh, using acidity or tannin to cut through fat or richness on a dish, and it's highly effective. You know, if you want, um, if you're consuming red meat or something with a high amount of animal protein and fat, having that tannic wine to really bind to those fats and proteins and really cleanse the palate is something that's very important. Right. Well, you know, I want to talk to you now a little bit about uh, about fine dining uh, in general. Um, so you've worked at some fine dining restaurants. True, I think, epitomizes, uh, you know, it's, it's tasting menu only, 1,500 wine selections. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and like what what place do you feel fine dining has in uh in the scope of things in Chicago right now? Well, I'm glad you asked. I think um I think we're about to see a little bit of a comeback from my perspective. Um one thing about Chicago, you see some strong trends taking place. Mm-hmm. Um you know, 5 years ago it was pork and charcuterie, you know, then it was the izakaya, then it was farm to table. Um you know, the good thing about this is the good ones last and, and really contribute to the diversity of our dining scene. But um, I think, um, A, hopefully the economy, fingers crossed, um, is picking itself back up. But uh, a couple openings recently, a couple openings on the horizon, you know, we've got Grace Restaurant that just opened. We've got some new luxury properties that are about to happen. And so I think people are, are really uh, becoming excited again about fine dining. I think another thing that's contributed to this is that those of us working in fine dining have really loosened up a little bit. Um, when I look at the team at True, for instance, we all have a lot of fun during our shift. Um, you know, our morale is high. We, we get to know our guests, and we just have fun during the shift. It's not a stuffy environment whatsoever. So we're still providing the impeccable service, the perfectly cooked, perfectly seasoned, um, beautifully presented food, uh, you know, the wine list, um, but, you know, we've got smiles on our faces, and I think we're really there to bond with the guests and then to give them that comfortable experience. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in New York, we're, we're finding that a lot of times, you know, the, the new restaurants that open up are not the, the more fine dining restaurants. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but people are still really, I think, expecting and requiring a higher level of food kind of at all at all levels whether it's a, a casual or a mid kind of tier restaurant or a, a fine dining restaurant um but I, I my feeling was that that fine dining is it's really important because that's where that's where everyone refines where everyone gets the the very mm-hmm. best um and it, it kind of pushes everyone at the other levels as well to to make sure you're 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 keeping up that your quality is 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 still really good i think that it, it's it's an important thing um and i had a friend who worked for uh for scott conant um and he would always call restaurants like like per se He'd be like that's that's required reading for the restaurant industry like you need to like you need yeah. to <laughs> understand what that's all about in order to do whatever right. else you wanted to do uh in the restaurant industry do you agree with that? <laughs> I, I do. That's a really good point. Um, and it certainly, uh, you know, it, it perhaps would be nice one day to have a little place that's, you know, more casual and you mm-hmm. hang out behind the bar and, and just chat with the guests. But I think without that, uh, shall we say, boot camp-like discipline, um, you're not going to have that, that base. You know, it's like if you want to be a dancer, you should really take classical ballet uh, to make sure you're at the top of your game kind of thing. Yeah. is that? I mean, is that your dream one day to open up a, a little place? I don't know just yet. I mean, I'm I'm really, really enjoying uh, working in fine dining. I'm really enjoying being at True. Um, and I, I see myself there for quite a while still. So we'll see where it takes me. Um, where, like, what, what regions are you super excited about right now, uh, other than Italy? Have you, have you done some travel recently? Do you have anything planned? Uh, nothing official. I might be heading to the Pacific Northwest, uh, mm. in a couple of months. We'll see. Um, but when I started, um, at True, the one, the one part of the list that really made my head spin was Burgundy. Um, and, and, and True just has an incredible Burgundy list. And it's really fun to see how in the last year and a half it's come from 
being very overwhelming to, you know, like, these are my old friends, <laughs> you know, and I'll mm-hmm. taste a wine and be like, oh, that tastes like Jungle Mutiny or, you know, uh, that tastes like Von Romanet. And it's, it's a very exciting thing when you start to really get to know the personalities of these wines that, um, on the surface, you know, same grape varietal, it's the same region, a lot of times it's the same producer, um, but, but their personalities are so strong, of course, the Pinot grape uh, expressing terroir so superbly. Um, so I think in the last year and a half, that would be the region for me that's, that's grown the most in my, in my psyche and my, my knowledge base, certainly. All right. So I'm coming out to uh, Chicago in, uh, in June Good. for a wedding. What would, you, what would your like, ideal Chicago uh, day be? What should I do while I'm out there? <laughs> oh, are you planning to, to eat all day, I hope? Um, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 that's, that's kind of how I travel. I, I, I don't like to go. <laughs> if, if I, I feel like a time in a museum when I'm traveling is kind of like wasted time for me because I'm not eating or I'm not like experiencing the city. So, yeah, so it'll be Got a lot it. of eating, yeah. <laughs> Though I do like um, museums, but I, I feel like I'd rather be eating or walking around. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we have a lot of good brunch places. Um, uh, the Publican, I hear, does a fantastic brunch. Um, I lived way on the north side um, for for a long time, and they've got some excellent brunch places up there as well. Um, one in particular comes to mind called Over Easy. Um, in uh, the Ravenswood neighborhood, um, so that's phenomenal. Um, for dinner, I have I have a couple favorites. Um, a friend of mine, Elizabeth Mendez, uh, opened a place called Vera. And what's cool about Vera is it's Spanish food. Um, she has the most incredible sherry selection, mm. um, and so it's just it's just fun to be able to expand your knowledge in a beverage that you might not otherwise get a chance uh, to enjoy that often. Um, for cocktails, hit up the drawing room. Um, Christiana DeLuca is the head mixologist over there, so I love that, uh, you know, the women are, are kicking butt a little bit, and the cocktails are just phenomenal. So um, there's a lot of fun places to check out in the city. You can you can make a day or a month or a lifetime out of it. So. <laughs> Yeah, I think you find you find that in New York also the women are are kind of kicking butt as well. There's so many um so many women who are who are running the best beverage programs here in uh here in New York. Uh if Laura Manick who just opened up her well, I guess it's over a year now, opened up her Cork Buzz wine studio. Mm-hmm, um, of it's amazing. Liz Nicholson at Maialino, Pascalina Rouge Tomat. There's just like when all of my uh, assistant beverage directors are women. Uh, <laughs> it's like it's uh, it's definitely a, a thing that uh, I think is not a trend. It's like it's what's here, and and it's awesome to see so many women just kicking butt in the in the industry. Oh yeah, no, it's not a trend. <laughs> yeah, it's... but you st- I mean, you know, people are still um, surprised uh, often enough. Um, you know, especially for for a younger woman to be approaching the table saying, hi, I'm your sommelier. Um, but I think it's also uh, disarming, so you can certainly use it to your advantage a little bit as well. Yeah, there, there's definitely like, some tables where I'll be at one of our restaurants and be like, Lara, I think I think you're going to sell those guys better wine than I would. So go go for it. <laughs> and uh, it, yeah. usually, uh, it usually works. Um, yeah, fair enough. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for being on the show. I really, uh, I really appreciate it. 
Uh, it was my pleasure. And uh, and next time you're in New York, would love to have you by one of the restaurants. Uh, I think I think you'd like amphora. <laughs> uh, I'm sure I would. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll definitely pop open a bottle of some amphora aged wine for you, and uh, uh, would love to have you in. And guys, if you guys are in uh, Chicago, check out check out True and any of other, Jennifer's hey. other recommendations. Um, and we'll we'll talk to you next week on In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.